Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is Great Big History Podcast. I want to give a shout out to all the kids who are listening in all the cars and all the back seats. This is for you. Today we do the Roman Empire. Or at least up to the collapse of the Roman Empire. So we're going to talk about some good stuff today. The Roman Empire lasted for 500 years, from 27 BC to 476 AD. It stretched from the Atlantic to the Euphrates, from Yorkshire all the way to the Sahara. It is a period, for the most part, or at least the first half of it, of stability. Why? Well, we ended with one person running the show. The Senate is no longer in charge. The Senate has given up its ghost. It has given up the chance to run the show. It has proven bad at it. They couldn't agree on anything. And so one person, Augustus, Octavian Augustus, is going to run this. He's the last man standing from the Civil Wars. He is Caesar's nephew. And so the emperor is going to run the government, and that provides stability. One man who can make decisions, get stuff done, fix problems. And that's good if you have a good emperor. It's terrible if you have a bad emperor, if you have a Caligula, if you have a Nero, if you have people who like all of that power and don't like any restraints on it whatsoever. Nero will try to kill his mama. Caligula will do a whole lot of stuff. Famously try to put his horse on the Senate. But there's always the rereadings. I mean, he wasn't really that. He was more talking about how the Senate wasn't really... Oh, you know, he could have put his horse on the Senate. It would get as much work done. Caligula's a bad guy. Little Boots, they called them. Little Boots. Tiberius, the previous emperor, the emperor after Augustus. Tiberius, or the generals in the army, when Caligula was little, would say, Caligula, little boots, dance for me. Dance for me, little boots. Go get your shine box. For those of you who know a good, good fellow's reference. So it's bad if you have a bad emperor. Because there's nothing stopping them from doing bad things. The army, the army doesn't belong to Rome anymore. The army is the emperor's. It is going to be paid for by the emperor. That's going to give it loyalty. It is going to be loyal, not to Rome, but to the emperor. Now, you'll see that Rome and the emperor are quickly going to become one. Augustus makes it his policy to make, uh, to make Rome and the emperor in inseparable. It wasn't that way, but they're going to make it that way. And so loyalty to the emperor becomes loyalty to Rome. We'll see when that breaks down in the 300s, in the 200s, the 3rd century. Uh, that's not a good thing. The second thing is it's going to be professional. It's well paid. It's extremely well paid. Professional troops who do nothing but train to fight. So they are awesome troops. They are terrific troops. They can defeat anybody, anywhere, anytime. 
You signed up to get into the army. You volunteered to get into the army. You were there for 20 years, and then you got a pension, which is why in the United States, we used to have that. You used to work at a job for 20 years, and then you'd finish and be like, I'm done. Grandpas used to be retired by 55. My grandpa, other grandpas, all the grandparents I knew were all under the age of 60, and they were all retired. And none of them were rich. They were all union working class men. No college education. They worked in factories. They worked for unions. They're all retired. The people of my parents' generation, none of them are retired. But that's the idea was, that's why it was the law. You did 20 years and you got a pension because the Romans did it that way. And the Romans went, well, if you did 20 years, all right, that's good. And so we have a professional, well-paid army whose entire job is to be ready for war. As Josephus says, that's Joseph with a U.S., Josephus, who is a um, Jewish governor who works for the Romans in Palestine. Uh, he sees the Hebrew revolt coming in 60, 63, 65 A.D. He sees it coming and he writes, stop, you don't want to do this. You play at war. You don't know how to fight wars. You think war is all glory and fun. The Romans do war. War to them, battles are like uh, bloody practices. And practices are like bloodless battles. That's what a professional army can do. Now remember, you're paying these guys to not do anything. Anything other than be in the military. So economically, they are a negative. Armies are economically a negative. They don't produce anything. They consume. So they are a drain on societies. Now, what you buy with that is protection. And there's a lot of bad guys out there who will talk about who you want protection from. So it's a cost. It's an insurance policy. That's why you have an army. But armies don't make money. Armies cost money. And professional armies are expensive, which is why no one has one. The Assyrians created one, but they to create one, they had to enslave the entire Middle East. The Romans practically had to conquer the civilized world in order to fund their professional army. These are immensely expensive. And you won't see another professional army a truly 24-7 regular professional army to basically the Swedes in the 1600s of Gustavus Adolphus who will recreate kind of the professional full-time standing army. And even to keep that, the Swedes are going to have to fight other people in other places. Gustavus Adolphus in Prussia and Germany. Charles X in Prussia, Poland, and in Denmark, which is what my book is about. Charles Twelfth in Russia, Poland, Prussia, Denmark, and even parts of Germany. 
And so they had to export their armies in order to keep them financed. So armies are expensive, which means it takes a lot of money. And the emperor has to have these. You can't not pay your army. When you don't, bad things happen. Three, the dynasty. Dynasty! Not Dallas. For those of you who know your good 80s soap opera references. Not Dallas. Dynasty. Dynasty means the best jobs stay in the family. It is a government by the family. So, what does that mean? It means all the generals are going to be related to me. It means my secretary of state is going to be related to me. My treasurer is going to be related to me. If you ever watch Game of Thrones, nobody is related to Robert Baratheon on his small council. Nobody. He's got people from all over the place. That's why he brings in, in season one, Sean Bean. Because he could trust him. He's a friend. He could trust him. Meanwhile, Joffrey has his uncle, his brother, his 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 brother and brother-in-law, brother-in-law. Uh, he has his mom. He's got a, his his father. His grandfather is running the whole thing. Like the Lannisters completely take over. That's the dynasty. Donald Trump. In installing his son-in-law in an important job, his daughter in an important job, uh, has the makings of this. But he hasn't gone further than, than those two. And um, his children, his other children, uh, are unofficially something. But they're not technically part of the government. So... The best job stay in the family. Why? Because you choose loyalty. You choose loyalty. Loyalty over ability. So, Jared Kushner is a perfect example of this. I didn't think I would have an example. If In my previous lectures, I'd never used this as an example. But it's perfect because Jared Kushner has been given everything from Middle East peace to the, to the opioid crisis to fixing government. He is the son of a contractor. He himself is in real estate investments. What does he know about any of this? What, what qualifications does he have for any of this? And the answer is none, absolutely none. He is not qualified to do any of the jobs the president has given him. The only qualification he has is he's the president's son-in-law. So how good is he going to be at those jobs? The answer is not good, but that doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? It doesn't matter because Trump, the president Trump doesn't care. President Trump wants loyalty, not quality. If he wanted quality, he would have went into the State Department, he would have went to the Senate Foreign Relations, and he would have carved himself up 
a group of people who could create Middle East peace. Jared Kushner, as a boy, used to hang out with the Prime Minister of Israel. That's about it. So, he doesn't have any qualifications. But that's not the important part. In a dynasty, loyalty matters. Now, this makes sense in Rome. This makes sense in the early Roman Empire. Why? Because... We just finished a hundred years of civil war, a hundred years of instability. It's a hundred years where Romans killed each other. And so what Octavian Augustus wants is peace and quiet and stability and people who will do what he says. And that's what he gets. What does this mean for the Senate families that used to run Rome? It means they no longer matter. They're out. They've been kicked out. They don't matter anymore. They're not going to have a say. The advantage of that is they don't fight with each other anymore. They're done. The time when Brutuses and Julii and and the whole host of different families fought with each other in order to gain the consulship and then take over armies and then go off to Greece and conquer things. That's gone. The Senate now is a rubber stamp. Augustus puts something out there and says, um, I really think you should approve this. And, you know, they put down their tea and their cookies and wake up from their nap and go, okay. Sign it. Oop. Thank you, Mr. Emperor. And then Mr. Emperor says, yeah, thanks. Bye. They kept the Senate. You go, well, why would they have the Senate? They kept the Senate because the Senate had always been there. So they kept it. But it had no power. It was not independent anymore. It did what the Emperor said. The Emperor had the money. The Emperor had the army. So... The advantage of this is you don't have civil wars. You don't have these senators fighting with each other. The disadvantage is, is you lose their talent. You don't have access to their talent. If bad things happen, and hint, bad things are going to happen, spoiler alert, if bad things happen, you can't rely on, on them. You can't go to a deep bench. You've got basically your family. So if your son-in-law messes up, you go to your brother-in-law. And you're like, yeah, he's even worse. And you're in trouble. Whereas in the Roman Republic, you could always find a new general. You could always find a new leader. Scipio is the perfect example of this. Scipio Africanus, the man who defeats Hannibal, is the third Scipio. The first Scipio is sent off as general goes to Spain, makes alliances, gets killed. So the Romans do what the Romans do. They elect a new guy and they send them. Now the Spanish tribes had made alliances with Scipio. Scipio I, whatever his name is. And so when this new dude shows up, the new dude shows up and goes, I'm the new Scipio. And they say, uh, how are you related to the old Scipio? And he says, well, I'm not. I was, I was elected. Uh, I'm a Joe. I'm a Billy. Hi, I'm Billy. I'm the new general. 
and these manly men Iberians who are fighting the Carthaginians in Spain look at Billy and they go, no, no, nope. You are not going to be our general. We want a Scipio. Oh, that makes me sad. Well, you know what's going to really make you sad? We're going to strip you naked, tar and feather you, and send you back to Rome. Oh, that's not nice at all. No. No, it's not. This is war, and we want a Scipio. Okay. And so he goes back because he, he showed up and said, I'm going to lead you, and nobody wanted to follow him. So they sent, so they go to Scipio's, Scipio the first, they go to his eldest son. And they say, Scipio the second, you're off to Spain. And Scipio the second goes, wait, wait, what, huh? Who? Wait, really? And they're like, yep, off to Spain. And so he shows up and goes, uh, I heard you wanted to see me. And the Iberian tribes, 100,000 professional, not professional, but warrior society guys who are used to fighting and following a chief, look at him and go, who are you? He goes, I'm a Scipio. How are you related to the old Scipio? Oh, well, he was my dad. Oh. All right, we can talk then. You know all the things he promised? Are you going to uphold all those things? And Scipio says, I don't know what you're talking about. Show me what he said. And they show him the pieces of paper, and he reads it and goes, yeah, all right. If my dad said it, I'll do it. And the Iberians go, woo, let's fight Carthaginians. And boom, and they go off and they fight, and Scipio II is, is, is making promises, he's making alliances, he's kicking butt, and he gets killed. And so Rome goes, uh-oh, we got to find another Scipio. And they look around, and there's Scipio's second son. He was like 18 years old. Now, you don't get to lead a, a Roman army until you're like in your 30s or 40s. You gotta go through the whole thing. You start at the bottom, work your way up. That the, that doesn't happen. You don't become eighteen and be like Alexander and suddenly get yourself in charge of an army. And but Rome said we need a Scipio. Scipio, and you go what what uh, who uh, I'm uh, uh. and he go you're off to Spain. He's like ah oh, okay. And he goes off to Spain and he shows up and he goes I heard you guys wanted to see me and they go. Which Scipio are you? And they're like, um, brother, um, brother of the last guy and son of the first one. And they're like, that's great. Woo! Let's kill Carthaginians. Uh, you're going to uphold all the promises, right? Well, yeah, I guess. All right. Are you going to be awesome too? I hope so. And it turns out he is. He will defeat Hannibal. He will conquer Spain. He will go to Africa. He will defeat Hannibal at Zama, Z-A-M-A. And he will win, and he'll be awesome. And they'll change his name to Africanus, the conqueror of Africa, the African. They'll change his name. He'll get the first triumph. They will hold a parade in his honor. But the only reason he was general was because the Iberian tribes wanted a dynasty. They said, we want a Scipio, and you're going to find us a Scipio. That's not how Rome worked. That's not how the Roman Republic worked. And it just happened to turn out. But that's how deep the bench could go. 
But meanwhile, while Scipio Africanus is doing his thing, there's generals in Italy, there's generals in Sicily, there's generals in France doing things. There's going to be other generals who will invade Greece. There will be a Pompey sooner or later. The Republic could give you a Cincinnatus. A noble farmer who becomes a general and then retires, gives up his sword, gives up his power, i.e. what Washington is. There is, in fact, a statue of Washington. It's a weird-looking statue, but it's in the Smithsonian of General of Washington as Cincinnatus. Cincinnatus was just, he, he was a noble farmer who people liked. And he said, hey, you're going to lead us against the Gauls. And he went, all right, okay. Beat up the Gauls, came home and said, I'm going to be a farmer again. And they're like, are you sure you're not going to make yourself king? He's like, why, man? I got a farm. I don't have time to be king. And he gives his sword to the Senate and says, you run things. And goes back to his thing. The empire doesn't have that deep bench. It never did. It chose loyalty over talent. Fourth is welfare. The, the empire is going to continue welfare. Now, welfare in the Roman Republic worked as free food and cheap entertainment, bread and circuses. Basically, enough to keep people's minds off their troubles. The empire is going to go differently. The empire is going to build infrastructure. We are going to get jobs to poor Romans. We're going to build big things that everyone can use. Aqueducts, roads, baths. Roman emperors build big things. Why? Because they show off your power and they employ a lot of people, just like Old Kingdom pyramids did. But here's the twist. Old Kingdom pyramids were used by one dude, the pharaoh. And it was his pyramid, and if anyone else gets buried there, he allowed them to get buried there. And there wasn't a lot of space. These are pyramids are not hollow. So there wasn't a lot of space for people. Roman emperors, on the other hand, come out of the Republic, where everyone owns a part of the government. Everyone is a citizen. And so when you build something in Rome, you build it for everyone. Aqueducts provide Water to everyone. It's why we believe in free water. Even today, you go into a public building, there are water fountains that anybody can use and nobody charges, even though it costs money to have them. Aqueducts are rivers in the sky. Some of them run 800 miles to bring water from the mountains all the way to the cities. For the first time in human history, you had clean water. You separated your water from your poop. And created sewage and sanitation, a sewer system and sanitation. Romans will have underground sewers. Rich Romans will have internal plumbing, interior plumbing. 300 million gallons a day entered Rome. And so public fountains, baths, 
the Romans will be a clean and healthy people for the first time in history. For the first time in the 5,000 years people have lived in cities, the city is finally a nice place to live. It's not diseased. It's not dirty. The bath allowed you to take a bath, to wash yourself, but it was also a spa. It was also a business meeting place. It was a whole world, the bath, but it was cheap. It was cheap enough that even poor Romans could go and use it on a regular basis. Roads were built essentially for the army to go from place to place, and they will level stuff. Like, they'll build roads into Greece, and you remember how we talk about Greece has mountains? Not after the Romans build roads. They literally just cut the tops off of mountains and build roads. <laughs> kind of like Americans did with this, uh, us, the Schuylkill. If you've ever driven on the Schuylkill, this big-ass mountain. And you're like, oh, I'm driving around it. Well, how are you driving around it? Well, somebody back in the day carved a path through it. And they didn't carve a very wide path. So you only get your four lanes, which is why there's always traffic on it. 6 a.m., traffic. 6 p.m., traffic. 2 a.m., traffic. 2.30 p.m., traffic. There's always traffic on the Schuylkill because there's not enough room. But why? How do you expand the highway? You have to blow up a mountain to add a lane there. There's the river on your right. If you're going out to out into Pennsylvania, there's a river on your right and a mountain on your left. There's nowhere else to go. And the Romans did things like that. And, but the Romans did it without dynamite. They just did it with tens of thousands of slaves. But they will level places and build roads. And who could use those roads? Everybody can use those roads. Merchants can use those roads. St. Paul will use those ro roads. Look at what, how many letters St. Paul writes. St. Paul to the X. St. Paul to the Y. He went to those places. He traveled throughout Greece, throughout Asia Minor, throughout the Levant, which is Phoenicia, Palestine, and Syria, the, the, the right coast of the Mediterranean. How? How was he able to do that? Roman roads. And these provide jobs for poor Romans. So you see how emperors are working here, right? You see how they're employing the army and they're employing people. And what they get for that is loyalty. What they want is loyalty. And they're going to get it. They want loyalty in the government. They want loyalty from the people. They want loyalty from the army. That's what Augustus wants. And that's what he gets. He doesn't want a capitalist, more efficient economic system. He doesn't want a team of rivals in government making, coming up with the best ideas. And he certainly doesn't want separate commanders commanding different armies like they did in the late Republic. Caesar, Pompey, Crassus. Antony, Octavian, all having their own armies, loyal to them. And in theory, loyal to Rome. He wants loyalty to the emperor. And what this creates is the Pax Romana. The period of Roman peace from 27 BC, 200 years of peace from 27 BC to 180 AD. The world is good. If you lived on earth, in 100 AD, living in Rome was the best 
life you can live on the planet Earth. It is peaceful. It is stable. The empire stops expanding. It will conquer a couple things in the Middle East. It will come to agreements with Parthia. There will be a couple of invasions of Germany and then a retrenching. There will be one excursion into what's called Dacia, D-A-C-I-A. And this kind of like bubble will form for a while. It'll also Dacia will also be the first thing that's reconquered by the Goths in the 200s. Or 300s. The Empire kind of stops expanding. The war, the army is used defensively, not offensively. The second thing is no one in the Empire fought anymore. And that's crazy because people define their masculinity by war. Think of our Greeks. Every summer, the question was not who or if. The question wasn't if, I'm sorry. The question was not if, it was who. And it wasn't really even who, it was where. Where are we going to fight? Find me a space, I'll fight. Or we find Spartans, fine. Or we find Thebans, fine. Just find me a space, I'll fight them. Goals define themselves, their sexuality, their masculinity by how many men they killed. They scalped people, wore the scalps. They cut off heads, made drinking cups out of them. And then they'd walk around and be like, hey, I've got five heads. And women would be like, oh, he is such an awesome warrior. Isn't he? It's like how many Lamborghinis or Porsches a 45-year-old lawyer has now. I have seven Lamborghinis. Ooh, you're so awesome. Now you have peace. Now you can't do that. Goals can't fight anybody anymore. Now you can join the Roman army, but there's only two to 300,000 spots in an empire of 25, 30, 50 million people. So the likelihood of you getting that spot is fairly small. And so what do you do? You can't prove your manliness by war anymore. There aren't the wars. If you ever watched uh, Fight Club, there's a speech about this. The malaise of the young man. The young American man. We have no great depression. We have no great crusade. We have no great war to define ourselves. We have capitalism where we're supposed to buy stuff. Our great war is boredom. Our great tragedy is ourselves. That kind of speech. And the Romans have that problem. What do we do. How do I define myself? And what the answer is, is you invest in yourself. You invest in yourself, you invest in your children. See, when you go off to war every summer, there's, a, there's choices you make. Because war is war. You could be kind of certain you're going to win war. But you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You didn't know, like the Athenians did not know when they went to Sicily, they were going to get a general who liked to, to fight battles by the, by the, by the light, by the uh, phase of the moon. 
They didn't know that. And so this is why we like sport, because sport is bloodless battle. This is why football is America's favorite pastime. Well, baseball is our favorite pastime, but football is, this, is our new sport. It's, it's bloodless battle. You don't know. Yeah, you think this team is going to win, but sometimes they don't. And you'll watch to see this sometimes. And so you invest in yourself because now you have time. Because in when you went to war, you said, you know, I have a choice. I can buy a Maserati and drive around at 150 miles an hour and have a great time. Or I can invest in a company that isn't going to be profitable for 10 years. Oh, and we're going to war in two weeks. What are you going to choose? You're going to choose a Maserati. Everyone's going to choose a Maserati. Why? Because at least you get to enjoy the Maserati. Because in two weeks, you're going off to war, you're going to have fight a battle, and you don't know if you're coming home. You have to prepare not to come home. And so you can't make any long-term investments. People don't make long-term investments because they have to think short-term. But if you're not going to war, well, now I could get my education. Oh, that degree that's going to take four years? I'm going to be around for four years, so I'm going to go do it. Oh, that business that's going to take 10 years to make a profit? I'm going to invest in it. Now you can invest in your future. You can organize wealth. You can save wealth. You get smarter. You get wealthier. And then you can leave that wealth to the next generation. Because you now don't have to worry about being it, having it destroyed in war. You have peace. So wealth can accumulate and build upon itself generation after generation. And so education and economics go up. People, as people invest in the future, lives get better. People get smarter. Greek philosophy spreads. Greek literature spreads. The Romans start building their own. You get Horace. You get, you get uh, Ovid. You get Virgil. You get Tacitus. You get Livy. Seneca. You get these guys. who can who become the new foundations of education you also get the spread of christianity in all of this too remember christianity is not spread in air in an era of war it's spread in an era of peace it comes of age in an era of peace in the roman world now, there will be the Hebrew revolt in the, six, in the 60s, 66 to 70 AD, and that will obliterate Jerusalem and pick a large number of the Hebrews up and scatter them throughout the Roman Empire. And that's a tragedy and a catastrophe for Hebrews and for Judaism. But the Italians or the Romans that are becoming Christians... To them, they live in a world of peace. 
And so they're willing to listen to these other messages. There are problems. If you get a bad emperor, you have a lot of problems because emperors have all the all the power. They make the decisions and what they say goes. And if they make a bad decision, bad things happen. Caligula, Nero, Commodius. When these guys make bad decisions, bad things happen. There's no one to stop them. Two is there's no rule about successors. There's no clear guide of who should come next. Remember, the emperor is not a king. Now, I know we use emperor, but emperor means imperator, a general, a successful general, a general who has won a battle. That's all. That's it. It doesn't mean anything more than that. It doesn't mean king of kings. It doesn't mean he who tells everyone what to do. In fact, the, t the official title of the emperor is princep, prince, meaning first citizen, meaning we're all the same except I'm a little, little better than you. That's not an emperor. That's not a king. A king flat out says, I am better than all of you people. I am good. You stink. I'm awesome. So Augustus couldn't leave power to somebody. He couldn't create a rule of succession. Why? Because Romans hate kings. Remember in the 600s, they were owned by the Etruscans. They hate kings. That's why they set up the Republic. And so this is part of the fantasy that is the Roman Empire. Like you still had to play to the idea that we're still the Republic, even though we're not the Republic. See, Romans didn't call it the Roman Empire, as far as I know. They just called it Rome. And the Republic kept going. The Republic was run by the Emperor. Sure. And there's an empire, meaning what we conquered. But there was still a Senate. The Senate still approved laws. We still elected tribunes. Like in theory, things looked the same, even though they were very, very different. So what does this mean, though? This means a woman can't be emperor. Why? Because an emperor is by definition a general. Women can't command troops. Not in Rome, anyway. It also had to be an adult. You couldn't leave it to your child. Would you go, well, that's not a problem, except it is. It is a problem in the first century B.A.D., second century A.D., when people died from toothaches, from infections. And you did not know if you were going to live past 30 or 40. If you got to be 40, you lived a long time. You were happy. So you needed an adult man who could command troops who had the charisma to get the troops on their side. The problem is, is that could apply to a couple different people. That could apply to the, to the emperors, to Caesars, uh, to Octavian, Augustus's, the emperor's brother. Or it could apply to his uncle. Or it could apply to his son-in-law. It could apply to a whole lot of people. So there's always the question of who's next. And there's always a question, will whoever come next get into a fight with other members of that family? And will they fight each other at the start or will they start fighting each other in the middle? Will the guy who takes over as emperor be who Rome wants? 
Maybe the Romans don't want that guy. The Romans didn't want Tiberius. They wanted Germanicus. Germanicus has happened to die. In fact, Augustus wanted Germanicus to be in charge, not Tiberius, his son-in-law. And Tiberius was so upset with the people who were starting to jockey when he got old of who would come next that he murdered everybody except Caligula. And why would he murder everyone except Caligula? Because he said, ha-ha, Caligula is going to be so bad when they write the history, I'm going to look good. And he was right. Nobody really likes Caligula. There are apologists for Tiberius. They are like, yeah, Tiberius murdered a whole lot of people, but they were in his family. And so, you know, the other stuff he did was kind of good. There are people who do that. So, but that's the problem. The problem is without a clear successor, there's no clarity on what will happen. Will another civil war happen? Compare this to Britain, which has a monarch, which has a king or queen. Right now it's Queen Elizabeth. What happens after that? Well, it will be her son, Charles. And what happens after that? It will be his son, William. And what happens after that? It will be his son, George. We know who the next king of England is going to be. Unless some tragedy happens. But if, if the world plays out the way the world usually plays out, we know who the next king of England is going to be for about 150 years. At least uh, maybe 100 years. 100 to 150 years. Depending on how long George lives. So, you know, if he lives to be 90, that's stability. The Roman Empire didn't have that. They didn't know who was coming next. And finally, part three is the problem with enemies outside the borders. There are Germans to the north. There are Goths to the northeast. There are Persians to the east. Now, the Persians are civilized. Now, these are not the same Persians as Alexander fought or in our earlier part of the course. These are kind of new Persians. Um, they're called the Sassanids. S-A-S-S-I-N-A-I-D. The Sassanids. Um, but they see themselves as like the new Cyrus. So, But they live in cities. They are organized. They have bureaucracies. They are civilized. Whereas the Goths and the Germans live in tribes, live in villages, use giant axes as their weapons. They are, they are the new barbarians. To the Romans, they are the opposite of us. They are barbarians. They are anti-civilization. Well, what does this mean? It means you have to have an army on their borders. It means you're always at the threat of being invaded, even if you could defeat these guys. And for 300 years, the Romans will have, these guys will invade, and the Romans will beat them up and send them back over that border. But it all means that there is a border, and on the other side of that border is not Rome. And that not Rome is dangerous. So you have to protect yourself against that. That's expensive. both financially and psychically, because you have to prepare for it. You have to have your armies prepare for it. You have to have your men prepare for it. If you live in uh, on the Rhine or on the Danube, you know you're on the, on the frontier of the world. And so your, your decisions have to be made in such ways that deal with that constant threat. 
So there are positives to this empire. There are lots of reforms that the Senate couldn't do back in the day under, under Gracchus. Augustus will make these reforms that save Rome. The thing that the problem is, is that the, you get the emperor. You can't go back to the Senate. It, go, it now has one guy making decisions. And that brings positives and that brings negatives. So in our next lecture, we're going to talk about the collapse of the Roman Empire. Thank you. So let's just take a moment. This is called the Great Big History Podcast. Uh, this is the History 101-102 for Camden County College. You can find us on Apple iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, uh, under Great Big History, Great Big History Podcast. You can find us on YouTube under Great Big History Podcast. You can also find us under uh, Professor Gennari, G-E-N-N-A-R-I. Um, you could find, uh, we have a website, greatbighistory.com. So where we have uh, our audio uh, and we'll also post our videos as well. And so you can find us on YouTube, you can find us on Apple iTunes, you can find us on Google Play, you can find us on Stitcher. So thank you very much for listening, and take care. Thank you.